Hey, thanks for tuning in to this special edition of the Hope Community Podcast. It's another flashback episode. Check it out. We have uh, been talking about things Jesus never said. Um, A couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus never said that there was something, anything that could separate you from the love of the Father. Um, a lot of us kind of grew up in that atmosphere. You, you, you were never good enough. You were never uh, able to um, obtain maybe uh, a feeling that he actually loves you. So there's always this fear. Uh, but when we went back and looked through Scripture and saw what Jesus was actually saying, he, he actually was revealing the Father's love and how much he actually did love us. And he did that through his actions. He did that through his teachings. He did that through his ministry and how he healed and how he loved. And, and it opens our hearts to say, oh, wait a second, the Father actually does love. And then last week we talked about how uh, there was never a moment when Jesus was saying that we shouldn't take care of ourselves. Um, that... The passage of scripture where it says um, to deny yourself and to take up your cross and follow him, that passage is actually talking about denying who you used to be, denying your former self, denying your false identity, and stepping into the real identity, who you really are. And in doing so, you're actually taking up your cross because you're finding out who the Father is, you're finding out who you are, and now you're taking that to others so they can find out who the Father is and so they can find out who they really are. That's following the path of Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He shared who the Father was, and he opened the eyes of people so they could see who they really are. And we talked about the woman at the well. We talked about... uh, the woman who was caught in adultery. We talked about Zacchaeus. We even talked about Paul. All of them had encounters with Jesus that after they walked away, they saw the Father differently and they saw who they were differently. And some of them even changed their names, okay? So this week, we're going to talk about a passage of Scripture in John 14. Starting with verse 1. And I'm going to read it from the King James. I know... I normally don't do that, but I'm going to today because of how the translation is written. So John 14, 1 says this, and we're going to go to verse 3. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Everybody say mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. So, did Jesus say that you were going to get a mansion when you die? You know, there's lots of, Elvis Presley wrote a song, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop, right? Remember that song? Maybe not, maybe you didn't. I remember it, I, he sang it, other, other southern gospel singers sang it. Um, 
I heard that song a lot growing up because I grew up in southern West Virginia. I like to sing that song a lot. This passage of scripture was tied a lot to dying. Because <laughs> for some reason, and I don't know why in the church, we, we are really fixated on dying and getting out of here. And so that song and this passage of scripture along with, I'm going to take a trip on the good old gospel ship. Anybody ever hear that song before? I never could understand that. Like, I was always like, Jesus is going to come in a ship, and he's going to pick me up, and it's going to be called the gospel ship, and we're all going to take off and fly away. Um, and there's another song, I'll Fly Away. I sang that song a whole lot when I was growing up. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. And then I read about the guy who actually wrote that song, and I realized, oh, wow, that song's completely taken out of context. <laughs> Do you know the story behind that song? The song was written by a slave. He worked in the cotton fields every single day. And if you've read any history about slaves, what they would do to get through the torment and the pain and the working and the, the bad elements is they would sing songs. And he wrote this song, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away some, right? Getting some glad morning when this life is over. Yeah, he wanted his life to be over because of the torment that he was going through. And he couldn't wait to get through this so he could go be with the Father. Changes the context of the song completely, doesn't it? (laughs) So, you know, a lot of times when we read these scriptures and we think about this stuff, and I understand because there's pain and there's sorrow and there's stuff that happens in our life when we go through it. And so we automatically start envisioning this thing that's so much better than where we are now. And so we reflect it to the future, and and we've we've come up with this concept of heaven. And so heaven's become this place where, you know, there's mansions for everybody, and you're probably going to get a Rolls Royce, maybe not a Rolls Royce, but maybe, I'm not even saying it right, but maybe you'll get a carriage that's made out of gold, and there's all this stuff that we come up with, and, and all these things that have been passed down over the generations, and, and so we have to ask ourselves, did Jesus' teacher say we should be more concerned with eternity and the future than now? Uh, should we live our lives as, as though we're just visiting here? Like, this is okay, and I'm here, but I'm here just for a season. I'm an alien to this world, and one day I'm going to go to the suite by and by. Uh, Should we care about now? Here's another question we should ask. Did Jesus say we were allowed to be happy and peaceful and live for the now, or is it all about get right or get left? Is it all about turn or burn? What is it actually about? Well... Let's, let's hone in on this passage of Scripture. We're going to go to John 14 in the Passion Translation. And uh, we're going to look in context as to when Jesus is speaking about this moment or what's going on. Um, so a little bit in context, the first thing we need to know is this speech or this message that Jesus shares happens after the Last Supper, after Judas betrays him, after Peter is told that he's going to deny Jesus three times. Okay, so a whole lot of crazy stuff has just happened. The Last Supper's taking place. It's the Passover meal. Jesus is acting weird. Stuff is going on. He's talking about taking his body, taking his blood. Then Judas 
gets up and leaves, and Jesus says, go and do what you've, you were told to do. He gets up and leaves. Then he talks to Peter, and Peter's like, you know, you're not going to be taken. You're not going to get carried away. Nobody's going to come after you. And Jesus says, you know, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me three times. So pretty heavy moment, right? Almost a, a sense of depression comes in the room. Wow, where's the hope? Where's all this stuff? And then Jesus says this in John 14, verse 1. So context. So now you know the context. It's a heavy moment. It's serious because of the things that are happening right now. And the last thing that Jesus says before we get to 14.1 is, you will say three times that you don't even know me. So Peter's upset. The rest of the disciples are obviously shaken at this moment. And then Jesus says this, don't worry or surrender to your fear. Hmm. Okay. For you believed in God, now trust in me also. My Father's house has many dwelling places. Now, let's talk about that word mansion for a second. The word mansion, the reason why it's uh, written like that in in some English translations is because it was taken from a Latin translation. A lot of the King James was taken from the Latin translation. And so they didn't really understand what the word mansione meant. They thought it was mansion. That's not what it is. Mansionone is uh, Latin for dwelling place or a whole lot of rooms. So the, the correct translation is, in my father's house are many places or many rooms. If I were, if it were otherwise, this is Jesus talking, I would tell you plainly because I go, I, I go to, I'm skipping over some. Because I go to prepare a place for you to rest. And when everything is ready, I will come back and take you to myself so that you will be where I am and you already know the way to the place where I am going. So Jesus is speaking here and he's saying, hey, listen, don't be afraid. You believed in God, believe also in me. Because in my Father's house, everybody say Father's house are many rooms. Father's house. He said, you believed also in God, believe also in me in my Father's house. All that, in my Father's house, you believed in God. Those two phrases tie something in context to what's happening in this passage. The people that Jesus is speaking to predominantly, really in this moment, are Jewish men and women. And when they hear the word Father's house, they automatically go to one place. And where is that? The temple. And the temple had many rooms in it. And for centuries, the temple was a tabernacle, and it traveled from place to place to place. And it was never stationary. And then when they finally built a place for the temple, after a couple hundred years, what happened to it? It was destroyed. And then it got rebuilt, and then it was attacked again, and then now they're in a moment in this season where they think they've built one that's going to last forever. But there's always this uneasiness that something's going to happen. There's always this uneasiness as, uh uh-oh, is this going to get destroyed? 
And so the religious leaders saw the temple now as being something that's permanent. It's in its permanent place, and they're waiting for the Messiah, but the Messiah that they're waiting for is the one that's going to come and make his home in this brick temple, and then he's going to kick out the Romans and all the other oppressors that's come, and now he's going to set up his kingdom right here, right now, in this moment. It's one of the reasons why they were so mad at Jesus. Because Jesus showed up and he would say things like, my father's house is a place of prayer. My father's house is a place of relationship. Not brick and mortar. Not a place where you can come and sell stuff to get to presents. No. My father's house is a place of relationship, a place of presence. They were expecting some warrior king to come up and... uh, and, and uh, free them. But Jesus, the Messiah, shows up and he says, this place will be tore down. He prophesies that the temple is going to fall down and it will be tore apart brick by brick. So what they were looking at and the Messiah that they were waiting for ain't going to happen. <laughs> Jesus comes and basically says, this is not the Father's house. He even goes one step further that when he dies on the cross, what happens in the temple? The veil is ripped. The place where the presence was supposed to be, the veil that, that, that stopped the world from coming to it, was ripped and now all could come. It was symbolic. The veil's ripped and it... And and the Holy of Holies is open to the world. If we look in the the mirror translation, in John 14, we start to find out what the Father's house really is. And in this passage of Scripture, this is what he's releasing to his disciples, to his followers, to the men and women who are there in that moment. It's a heavy moment and he's, he's bringing them good news. Verse 1 in the Mirror Translation, it says, Set your troubled hearts at ease by letting your belief conclude in God as you rest your confidence in me. What makes my Father's house home is your place in it. If this was not the ultimate conclusion of my mission, why would I even bother to do what I'm about to do? If it was not to prepare a place for you. I have come to persuade you of a place of seamless union where you belong. The proportions of what I will accomplish are astonishing. I will prepare a highway for you, just as in the Oriental custom where people would go before a king to level the roads to make it possible for royalty to journey with ease and comfort. By fully identifying myself with you, I would fully identify you with me so that you may completely, so you may be completely at home where I am. So context. Jesus is sharing what's about to take place. He's about to give his life for humanity. And the disciples are realizing that something serious is about to take place. And he brings comfort in that moment and says, I am going 
to accomplish a home for you, a permanent home for you through the cross. That permanent home is the heart of the Father. That's what Jesus is talking about. In my Father's house, in my Father are many rooms. In my Father is a place for you. It's always been there. And Jesus says, I'm going to prepare it. It's like if, if Jansen and Hope were coming to our house to hang out after church, Lindsay and I would prepare our house to receive them. Make it ready. Make it welcoming. Open up the doors. Let the wind blow through. Prepare the way. And, and he talks, in, in, the, in the mirror translation, talks about the oriental custom. That's what they would do. If, if royalty, which is what you are because you're a king's kid, if you were coming to visit the king, they would make a way where there normally wasn't a way. They would make a way. They would flatten the roads. They'd get rid of all the potholes. They'd have fanfare. They'd get it all set up to where you could just walk right in and get to the king. No issues, no customs to go through to get to him. You just walked right in and got to him. And that's what Jesus was doing. He's like, listen, you have, he, he's telling his people, and he's telling us in this same passage, there's so much stuff that you have put in the way of getting to the king. And the king's standing there, this is wide open. Come home. My arms are open wide. I've got a place for you. But we put self-imposed restrictions. And Jesus says, I'm coming and I'm going to prepare. I'm going to flatten out all the restrictions that you put out and say, come home. So you can go right in to the king. I love how the mirror says this. He says, what makes my father's house a home? Your place in it. What makes a home a home? Family, right? That's what really makes a home a home is family. No matter how many people are part of your family, your family right now might consist of dogs and cats. Right? Or friends. You have friends over. And that's your home and you connect in that home. Or you're married and you got kids. That's your home. And it might be crazy and nuts, but you know what? There's times when I don't want to be any other place than my home with my family, no matter how crazy it is. Because it's home. That's where love is. That's where grace is. That's where mercy is. That's where fun is. That's where, even in the chaotic moments, there's love. That's what makes a home. His house was never about separation. It was always about family. And he's making you feel welcome. Jesus went to make you feel welcome. That's what was happening in this moment. He's going to the cross to open the doors and make a way where there was no way for you to feel welcome to come into the Father's presence. And he, he's like, why? he says, why would I do what I'm about to do? Why would I go and die if it wasn't for you to be welcomed by the Father? If he didn't already love you, if he didn't already have a place for you, why would I go and do this? So we are made completely at home in him. 
This is what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about a mansion. He's not talking about putting everything off into eternity to find love and peace and joy and grace. He's talking about now. You can have it now because Jesus prepared a way for the place in the Father's heart for you. He's not making a a promise that one day you'll get a mansion full of silver and gold. You just wait. It's okay. It's okay if the world goes to hell in a handbasket. You just obey the rules and poof, you get a mansion. Nope. (laughs) Nope. It's not what he's talking about. He's revealing to the disciples the love plan that has always been in place since the foundations of the world. He's telling them, this this is what was already planned out. There's space and the Father's heart for you, and I am going to go remove all the restrictions that humanity has put in front of the Father. I'm getting it ready for you to come home. Jesus even says, and where I go, you know the way. I believe he's saying this to to the disciples, but I think we can hear this heart of Jesus in this moment too. You know the way to the Father. Because every one of us has been given what? A measure of faith. You were created in his image, so there's a con- you already have a connection with the Father, and you know the way. You just need to be reminded of it. And Thomas says in verse 5, he brings up, because this is what we would do, right? If Jesus was here now and said, I'm going, I'm going somewhere and you know how to get there, we'd be like, huh? Where are you going? And that's what Thomas says. Thomas says, no, we don't. We don't get it. We have no idea where you're going with this. How can we possibly know the way? And Jesus says in verse 6, my I amness, who I am, is your way. This is your truth and also your life. Every single person can now come face to face with the Father entirely because of my doing. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He reveals the way to the Father. He shows us who we are, who He is, and we can step into new life. Verse 7, he says, If you had known me for who I really am, you would have immediately recognized my Father in me. Now with, now, with me bringing you back face to face with the Father, you will certainly know him and become fully acquainted with him. He's showing us the Father. He's showing us the Father's house. We see the Father in Jesus. We know him. We become fully acquainted with him. And so we are no longer strangers, but we are now family. That's what's been revealed to us. Philip gets super excited in verse 8. He says, Lord, show us the Father, then we will be satisfied. Verse 9, Philip I have been with you for a long time and you haven't really known me? To see me is to see the Father. 
how can you still say, show us the Father? Are you not convinced that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? We are in seamless union. The words that I speak to you are not my independent opinion or ideas. The Father in me addresses you. This conversation then translates into the Father's action unveiled in my doing. The fact that the Father seems distant distant or invisible to you does not mean that he is absent. Thank God. (laughs) In me, he is very present with you. You cannot claim to know me while you ignore him. We are inseparable. Humanity, I dare you to believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me. If it seems far-fetched, then believe me because of what I have done and what I'm about to do. It is the Father in me who defines me. My works exhibit his heart. Philip cries out, show us the Father. That's the heart of the heart of humanity, is it not? Our heart is to see the Father. And when you understand that John is the book of John is the last book that was written by one of the twelve disciples. All the other disciples have already died and passed on. John has written 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He's written the book of Revelation. And the last book that he's going to release on the earth is this gospel. He's been alive for all the other disciples' martyrdom. He's been alive for all their journeys. He's been alive for all of Paul's journeys. He's been alive for all of Paul's letters. And he has, in this culmination, in this gospel, the maturity level of what has happened in that time. Now John is writing the things that maybe other people have missed and he wants us to catch on and he wants those who read this book to get. And he's bringing this out. He's saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what the Father looks like, then look to Jesus. And John, is, he brings it up constantly in his gospel. And Jesus makes this bold claim. He says, you can't know me and not know who the Father is. But isn't that what we've done? We have over and over again accepted Jesus for who he is and what he says, and the love that he has. But some of us in the past, or maybe even still now, were terrified of Father. And we separated the two. Because Jesus is New Testament. Right? Love, joy, peace, grace, gentleness, kindness. But Father's OT. Killer. Destroyer. Wipes out entire people groups if Jesus and the Father are one then that kind of makes God schizophrenic so maybe there's some misunderstanding here maybe there's something going on here and Jesus is showing up to not only redeem us but to correct the way that we see the Father I can remember back when I was younger and struggling with this because I'd be like, man, Jesus loves me. I'd sing the song, Jesus, uh, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. But then, man, when you start talking about the Father, 
was like, man, Jesus is good. But when I hear say, people say God is good or the Father is good, I'm kind of shaken in that moment. Like, is he? But Jesus does something here. He, he, he basically says, um, he basically says the Father is good. He dares us to believe that. He dares us to believe that Jesus and the Father are one and we see the Father through Jesus. And he says that when we do that, when we see that the Father is good and we believe that what we see in Jesus is the Father, it says that we will do what Jesus has done on a global scale. I'm trying to find that passage. It says in verse 12, I want you to be fully convinced about this. Anyone who is Anyone whose belief concludes in who I am will also do the works that I do. And because of my going to my Father, the works that the believer will do will be of a greater proportion and of global influence. The Father is as present in you as he is in me because of my going to do what I'm about to do. So the call here is when we see Jesus and we see Father for who he really is, then we take on what Jesus did and we do what he did to a grander, greater, global scale. Jesus took the gospel to a certain area on the world map. But once Jesus explodes in our hearts, then we take what happened there to the rest of the world. We reveal the Father to the entire world and show them the Father looks like Jesus because Jesus looks like the Father. They mirrored one another. If you want to know what the Father's like, look at Jesus. Read the story. See what he did. See what he said. See how he healed. See how he loved. See who he hung out with. See what he did. That's the Father. When you get to verse 13, he says, Whatever you desire in my name... That will I do, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in you. Your sonship is endorsed by my sonship. He's looking at the disciples and he's telling them, listen, you're my sons and daughters. Your, your sonship is ignited, released to you through my sonship. I asked my father to do things, and he does it. And so now when you ask in my name, I'm going to do those things because it's all going to bring glory to the father. In verse 14, he says, If you ask me anything, and knowing what my name entitles you to, that will I perform. In your, in your loving me, you will greatly value and treasure the prophetic conclusion of my ministry. And I will agree with the Father to give you another close companion to be with you in such an intimate way that my immediate presence will be fully perceived by you with, within the timeless zones of the ages. So Jesus starts telling us, like, in this relationship, and when you start seeing who the Father is and you start seeing who you are, you see your sonship, then you can start focusing on this global movement and anything you ask in my name, I will give to you. So is the focus on the sweet by and by or is the focus on life right now? Why would he ask 
you to, why, why would he look at you and say, ask anything in my name and I will give it to you if all of that was for some future moment after you're dead? That's not what he's talking about right now. We are actively promoting the goodness of the Father now, not to be pushed off at some later date, but right now. He said, ask me anything. Ask me anything because you're entitled to it. You're a king's kid. You're at the table. You're not on the outside, but you're at the table with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You don't have to beg to get to that table. You're already there. And here's the most awesome thing. The Holy Spirit is in us to reveal to us this new position. The Holy Spirit's the the teacher. The Holy Spirit's the one who comes and reminds us of that, who releases that on the inside of us and tells us, hey, you're a son, you're a daughter. You're entitled to come and be at the table. You're entitled to talk to the Father. You don't have to wait outside a curtain and hear somebody else tell you what God is saying. You're in. verse 18, Jesus says, at no time will you be orphaned or abandoned by me. I come to abide face to face with you. And just think about that for a second, because over and over throughout the history of the people that he's talking to in this moment, he's talking to Jewish people in this moment, they've been, since the time of Abraham, they've been wanderers. They've moved from spot to spot, and then once they finally thought they got settled, what happened? Somebody came in and invaded them. And even when they were settled at a moment, it seemed like they were always at war. And then that somebody would take them, and they'd take them away, and then they finally got to come back again, and then somebody else would take them, and now the Romans are, are occupying their land. And so you can imagine that happening over generations after generations after generations. There's an orphan spirit there. And Jesus comes in and says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never abandon or orphan you but I will abide with you face to face. There's no begging to get to him. He's here as we are here. We are in union. Verse 25 says, this has been the constant conversation that I've had with you in our time together. So now Jesus is like, listen, this is what this whole thing is, has culminated to. I've been constantly talking about this. The Father loves you. He's always loved you. Everything that I've done, everything that I've said, everything, every healing, every miracle that I've done has all been to show that. It's my constant conversation. Every time I talk, this is what I'm bringing up. This is the point. You are no longer self-imposed outsiders, but you're in. Jesus has opened our eyes to who the Father really is. We belong to him. We are his. We live from him. That's real life. Our eyes are opened to this. It's open to this new freedom, this new identity. That's where we live from. We don't live from the outside, but we live from this reality that we are in him. Verse 26 says, The Holy Spirit is about to become your close companion, sent by my Father in my name to represent me, to teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have spoken to you. Thus, 
my word will continue to find a voice in you. The Holy Spirit in us continually teaches us who the Father is and who we really are. That's His job. Have you ever thought about it? That's why when you're getting ready to do something stupid, where do you normally feel something? Right here, right? If, if you study enough Jewish tradition, you, you know that, that that's where uh, the, the Jewish uh, rabbis taught that the soul was. And anytime I come, in, anytime I come into contact with, with the presence of the Father, I hear a word that's, that's directly for me or from me, whenever I'm getting ready to do something stupid, whenever in a moment that, that I'm crying out to, to, to the Father, something's going on, something's rough, when I'm doing something dumb, right here's where I feel it. And, and when you think about it, it's your soul connecting with your spirit and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's releasing to you in that moment where you're about to act dumb. That's not who you really are. That's not you. I've been having these conversations with Ezra, talking to him about it. I, I've been like, hey, you, you know how like when you're getting ready to, to do that thing that you knew you weren't supposed to do? Yeah. You, do you feel something like right here, like, mm, should I do this? Should I not do this? If I do this, you know, mommy said not to do this. I said, do you feel something right there? He goes, yeah. I said, I tell him, I said, I said, that's the spirit of God telling you, hey, that's not who you are. That's not Ezra. He'll look at me, his eyes get real big. We were sitting on the floor uh, two days ago. He had done something to his little brother, and he wasn't being mean or nothing. He just got a little too rough. And I could see in his little eyes right before he did it, like, should I do this? I could see it, and he, then he did it. And so I asked him about it, and he said, yeah, and you know, in Ezra language, <laughs> you kind of have to have an interpreter sometimes. We sat and had that conversation. Then his eyes got real big, and, he, and it's dawning on him that, wait, you're telling me that God speaks to me? I could see it clicking in his brain. And I looked at him, and I said, hey, buddy, listen, you know, right here where you're at, that's, that's you. And that feeling that you get, that's God speaking to you. You, you learn to listen to it. And it'll always keep you in who you are. So, of course, when you talk to a three-year-old, three, four-year-old about stuff like that, it's automatic, that's magic. And if he wants to think that's magic, I don't care. He gets the point. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, God's kind of magical like that. <laughs> he can speak inside you. But that's the reality that we live in because the Holy Spirit is in us and he's speaking to us and he's teaching us. I love verse 27 too because not only do we have the Holy Spirit, but Jesus goes on to say, peace be with you. I give you my own peace. This is not the kind the world gives. This is peace in the midst of troubled times. Therefore, you have nothing to fear. Let not your hearts be timid. So he doesn't give us peace in the future. He gives us peace now. Right now. And he says, don't be afraid. And that's my encouragement to you. Don't be afraid. 
And when you think about it, that's the reason why we've come up with all this kind of crazy stuff about the afterlife. It's because we're scared. It's also the reason why we put peace and joy and hope and all of that into the future, into the afterlife. Because once again, fear. We're afraid of actually having that now. Because we don't think that we're good enough to have all that now. But Jesus has shown up and said, hey, listen, you are good enough because of me. So see who you really are in me. See that you are good because I am good. See that the Father declared you good from the beginning. That's the reality that you need to live in. Because when you live in the reality that you are good, guess what you'll do? You'll act out the good. But if you constantly believe that you're bad and that you're a bad person, guess what you're going to do? You're going to act bad and do dumb things. If I looked at Ezra all the time and told him, you're such a bad kid, you're a horrible kid, you're bad, guess what he's going to do? Be bad and horrible? You telling yourself that you're bad or, you t- or someone else telling you that you're bad, that's feeding into your false identity. Who you think that you are, who you used to be. And that's not who the Father says you are. The Father, through Jesus, is reminding humanity the declaration that he made all the way back into Genesis. Man is created in his image, and he declared it good. So I I brought this out because I kind of want to show you something real quick. That's you, right? Jesus reveals the Father. He reveals the real you. He shows us that we are invited to the table. You got the Father, you got the Son, you got the Holy Spirit, and you've got you. You're at the table. So now you see who the Father really is. You see who you really are through Jesus because he's a mirror. And then on top of that, you've got the Holy Spirit. who is now and dwelt in you, right? And the Holy Spirit reminds you of the Father, His love, His grace, His mercy. He teaches you what? He teaches you all the things that Jesus shared teaches you who you are. All of this is happening now. All of this right now is happening around you, in you, 
Do you have the ears to hear? Do you have the eyes to see? All of this is sonship. This is where you are now. This is, you're, you're not below, but you're seated with Jesus. Where's Jesus at? He's at the right hand of the Father. So we have to get this picture because something happened at the cross. Something took place. Something happened at the resurrection. Something happened at the ascension that completely changed and shifted the dynamic of you and me. Because when this becomes open to us and we start walking in this, you start understanding that you're no longer a part of... I'm going to get a little sci-fi for a second, all right? You're going to get a little Star Wars, Star Trek. Going to might use some words that might be out there. But when you start realizing all of this is happening and all of this is taking place, let's say in the spiritual, supernatural, and then you're connected in the natural, you have to at some moment start to realize that this life that we now live is multidimensional. And we, we basically live in 3D, right? Three dimensions. And science has discovered more than three dimensions. Time and space, they actually consider a dimension. If you start getting into uh, astrophysics and some other things, it starts going out into crazier dimensions. But when you start looking at the things that Jesus did, the talk that he talks about, the stuff that happens with the Father throughout Scripture, you start understanding real fast that the things that's happening with him and, and the stories that we hear and the miracles that take place, that's just beyond our three dimensions. So there's something multi-dimensional going on here. And when you start looking at language and you start looking at things, especially when it starts talking about the afterlife, you start to find out that you know when they describe things after death, they didn't really have words and ways to put it and especially now when we try to translate it into English, it, it's how we come up with stuff like this. And so, you know, maybe you didn't grow up this way, but I grew up thinking that heaven was somewhere way off in the distance in the north, and that's where the throne of God was, and that's where Jesus was. And, you know, the Holy Spirit had to come from way out there in the universe to here. It made God seem like he was far away. Because I try to put him in a physical point. But then when you read scripture and you find out that he's everywhere, then how does that work? How that works is we have to start seeing things dimensionally. Beyond just our physical, and, and now we're getting into supernatural. And so let me, let me ask you a question. Do you see all of this as good? Are these good things that's taking place? Right? Can I tell you something? 
Um, I'm trying to remember the passage of scripture. Jesus says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is, where? Did I spell that right? For some reason I want to make that an A, but I shouldn't. <laughs> you, some, so many people ask me what heaven is. If you want to know the essential element of what heaven is, this is heaven. This is heaven on earth. As it is in heaven, so it is on earth. This is the dimension of heaven invading your life. This is where you're at. So if you were like, if someone asked you, man, I can't wait to get to heaven, you can look at them and say, I'm already in heaven because you know why? I got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit involved in my life right now. I am seated in heavenly places. I am seated at the right hand of the Father because of Jesus and because of what he did on the cross and the redemption and the, the, the sozo that I have experienced that my relationship with the Father has been repaired and now I stand and he sees me as a son and more importantly, I see myself in that, then I am taking part in the body of Christ and I am transdimensional. I am beyond just right here but I'm also there. I told you it was going to get weird for a second. Now, am I, am I saying that heaven doesn't exist and that when you and I die, that that's, we're not going to go somewhere? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm trying to get the point across that Jesus has already told us that heaven is here now in us through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are being perfected now. And we're walking in it now. Where all this gets messed up is, is when people hang on to this phrase, well, we're, we're just sinners. We're just sinners saved by grace. I'm, I'm not a sinner anymore. I have been transformed. Sinner is my former identity. I am not a sinner anymore. I'm a son. That doesn't mean that I don't do dumb stuff sometimes. I do do dumb stuff sometimes. But I am not a sinner. That is not my identity. I am now a part of this. This is my identity. This is where I live from. I live from heaven's mindset. I live out of heaven's prosperity i live out of heaven's goodness that's where i come from that's my origination <laughs> i don't know i just made it up that's where i come from i come from him and now i realize that and i see that and i'm i walk in that i walk in in this multi-dimensional phase Sometimes we confuse eternity with heaven. They're, 
you, you, can, you can live in this now. You can be perfected and walking in that perfection now. And I'm, I, 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 trust me, I'm not trying to take away from what happens when we cross from this life to the, uh, to the next. I'm hoping that it sparks something inside of you to know of, okay, so if all this is going on right now, then that surely and truly means that when I cross from here to the next, if I thought all this was going to happen when I got there, well, if this is already going on, then what's going to happen when I get there? What is all that like? How crazy is that going to be? I don't really know. I don't think it's going to be the audio adrenaline song. A big, big house where we can play football. I don't think it's going to be that. I don't. I, I really don't think it's going to be the, um, you know, a great forever worship service. I, I don't think it's going to be that either. Because because we're already worshiping him, him now in our life. We could be well, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go for that. Non-fattening. <laughs> but there is some interesting things in Scripture where it talks about the great cloud of witnesses. It talks about um, well, still, still work happening, stuff, people doing stuff. I don't really understand all that, and I, I don't know it. I know it's there. I've heard some other folks that I trust talk about it. But it lets me know that there's more to this thing than just, oh, well, you know, when I die, I got a mansion. And if you didn't know him, you don't get one because you're going to burn. Is that really what this is all about? When you start looking at Jesus and what he taught about the afterlife. And I, really, I think you should go back and you should look at some scriptures and look at all the places where he talks about hell and look at all the places where he talks about heaven. When he talks about those things and, and, and maybe get out of concordance and, and, and read what the words mean when he says it and read it in context, not just one or two scriptures, but read the whole thing in context and who he's talking to and what he's talking about. You're going to find out that Maybe the things that we heard preachers screaming about for years, maybe that ain't what they was really saying. (laughs) But the meat of what Jesus was talking about and what he was trying to, to grab his disciples' attention to after the Last Supper, before this whole thing starts culminating, is listen, I am I am the Father and one. And you see the Father through me. And when you start seeing the Father through me, then you start seeing who you really are. And when you start seeing who you really are, then you see that you have a seat at this table with us. And we talk and we discuss and we live life now. And the Holy Spirit is the one that reminds you of the Father, reminds you of His love and His mercy and His grace. And it reminds you of the teachings that I shared with you. And it reminds you of who you are. He's constantly teaching you that. And you're growing. And you're learning. 
it's from this understanding that Paul even says, remember, he goes, quit drinking the milk and get some meat. Remember when he said that? He's talking about this relationship. He says, you can't just keep sipping on the milk. That, well, Jesus saved me. Hallelujah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die and go be with him one day. Paul even gets into some of that stuff. He says, listen, we all get that. We all get that we're going to die and be with him someday. We all get that he saved us. But can we move beyond that and get into some meat and start seeing who we really are? Because when we start seeing who we really are, this movement, this global movement of salvation happens. Heaven. It's like the old 80s rock ballad. Heaven isn't too far away. It's not too far away. It's already on the inside of you. (laughs) Can you open your heart to believe that? Let me show you something. What's that say? So. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God, everything in the universe, everything that exists comes from God. So that means... Time, that means heaven, that means the earth, that means you. Everything is in him. And you are in him. But check this out. There's only one other thing in the universe that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is in and that is you. Because of Christ, you are made one with him. You catch that? Everything is in God. Time, space, all dimensions, heaven, earth, everything is in God. It all came from him. It all all has found its origin in him, and it all is in him. It's all in him. And there's only one other thing in the universe that God is in. And that's you. Because Jesus makes you and him one. We're face to face. We're at that table and we're all face to face. So guess where heaven is? If heaven's in the Father, then heaven's in you. Time is not outside of God. So if time is inside God and God is inside of you, where's time? Time doesn't control you unless you let it. You control time. If heaven is in you because it's in the Father, don't don't confuse heaven with time and eternity. Heaven is in you. 
It's already in operation and it's already working. Heaven's relationship. Heaven is home. Home in the Father's heart. That's heaven. He prepared a place and you're there now. And you're being perfected. And, and one day, we will be in it in its fullness. It doesn't change the fact that it's here. And I'm growing into it. Does this make sense? You all right? So I challenge you, this is my challenge. My challenge to you is go through the book of John. John's such a good book because it's the culmination. It's like the, the, one of the last books that's written. It's a culmination of, of, of the first century of Christianity. And, and Paul is bringing the maturity of what has come out through Paul's letters, Peter's letters, the other gospels. And he's bringing out some of the stuff that they may have missed and, and just bringing it all to a culmination. It's like John is like the, the college course. And it's reminding you of kindergarten all the way up through the, the last year that you're in college and he's bringing it all out. Go through there and find the places where he talks about stuff like this so you can see who you really are and what's happening in you. And I'll guarantee you it's going to give you strength and life and encouragement because I know what it's like to be caught up in the stuff that happens sometimes that's not cool. And then you make statements like, well, I just can't wait till this is all over. I can't wait till this is done. And our heart starts to break. The Father's intent was never for our heart to break over the weight of this world. And that's why he says, as in heaven, so on earth, you, this can happen here. And now let not your heart be troubled. If it were not so, I would have told you. Heaven is here and now in you because you are in the Father. Taste the relationship now. You don't have to wait. Okay? So let's pray. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Uh, If you wouldn't mind check out our webpage. It's wearehopecommunity.com. Peruse some of the things that we got going on there. There's a blog, some more media. Um, There's a place to give if you would like to. Um, You can check out some other services that we have got. Um, But more importantly, we'd love to hear from you. And there's a place where you can just write a question, shoot us an email, whatever. We'd love to hear from you. You can also check out our Facebook page and our Instagram. Uh, You can connect to us, connect with us through those as well. But thank you so much for tuning in today. And remember that you are valuable beyond measure.